And so I'm just going to try and drive a nail a little bit harder today. Okay? I want to say, okay, so you understand that you've got a talent. You understand that God has made an investment in you, that he's given you a bag of gold. He's given you the golden ticket. And yesterday, I don't know about you, but I watched an awful lot of gold uh, being kind of used uh, to um, show a man that he has got a position of responsibility. And God has made an investment in Charles because God tells me in his word that he appoints leaders, kings, people, leaders over us. So I trust that that man who made some very public, very public professions of that he would be a servant. He was here not to be served, but to serve. I was quite moved. I must say, I was more moved by the military bands marching. And uh, I was like, wow, look at that. Yes, marching around in, in my front room. No, not really. Because <laughs> Ellen was there. I was in the garden, though, <laughs> up and down. <laughs> because we get, we get stirred by different things, don't we? But the thing that moved me more than anything else that I saw yesterday was a simple man in trousers and a white shirt. Divested of all the things that marked him out as a king. Standing exposed. And making himself vulnerable to the world. And being anointed. Makes me think. Does it make you think? Actually, I didn't put a white shirt on, and <laughs> I'm just realizing <laughs> what I did, what I've done. It, that's not on purpose. That's an accident. <laughs> but um, I want to talk to you. You know, uh, Joel homed in on the, the three servants, and so did I. Um, but today I want to talk to you about three kings. I want to kind of try and drive a nail that you are precious and that God has made an investment in you and that he's holding you, well, he is expectant of you holding him accountable for being fully God in your experience. Because you see, the, the nail I want to drive is that the thing that should motivate us is not that we've got something that we're good at, that I can juggle, so I should put my juggling to, into practice and be a really good juggler for Jesus. No, no, no. It's the fact that Jesus is brilliant, that he is my king, and that I, if I can juggle, I want to do this juggling for your glory. I want to make use of this ability for your glory because you are worthy. He's the focus, not my talent. The talent is never the focus. The talent is a blessing. The golden ticket is a blessing, but it's not the focus. It's where the, where the gold comes from. It's the one who says, I'm giving to you because I see that you are capable. I see that you are worthy. I am giving to you in order for you to make capital out of this. Not to bring me glory, but so that you and I can enjoy our relationship appropriately because you understand who I am and so I'm going to talk to you about three kings that knew their king 
three kings that, um, and it's not the wise men, it's not a Christmas message, but it's three kings that I I want to focus on. Now, there are many bad kings. Uh, There are are loads of bad kings. Um, You know, I I remember a statistic of all the leaders in the Bible. uh, There are something like 400 leaders mentioned in the Bible, but only 80 of them finish well, which is an interesting statistic. You see, because God gives people opportunity and then it's down to how you invest what God has invested in you that actually brings a reward and he is longing for you to finish well he's longing for you to do the best that you can with the best that he's given you that's all and the way that we get stuck into that is if we truly understand who he is so I'm going to just um oh let me just back up again and say something else Uh, this week we had a staff meeting, and I was incredibly encouraged because uh, in our staff meeting this week, we just said, okay, let's encourage one another. It was a little bit different to this, but it was, let's encourage each other. Let's just take a moment and pray, and then say what we feel God is saying to people in our gathering. And there's quite a few of us now uh, that can gather on a Wednesday morning. And, um, and somebody said to me, uh, I notice how you encourage people. And I notice how this church is very encouraging. And I was very encouraged to hear that I was encouraging. Because I was encouraged by that. And so I encouraged him back and just said, thank you. But, and so I'm going to play to that strength and I'm going to encourage you this morning. And in my encouragement, I want to challenge you. I'm go- but I'm wanting to encourage you. Do you understand me? I'm going to be as encouraging as I can, and it might be challenging, but I want you to think. Okay? I'm not just going to say, oh, I love the way your hair is today, or I love the color of your top, or whatever. I'm not going to just be polite. I'm going to be encouraging. So, three kings. Here we go. First king I want to look at is maybe the most famous king, uh, David. Okay? I don't want to say a lot about David. You know about David. You know David was a shepherd boy. You know David was plucked out of obscurity. You know that David was uh, the, uh, like the runt of the litter in his family. Uh, some theologians think he was actually adopted. He wasn't the biological son. Some people say that. I, there's no evidence for that. But it was just some of the things that David says in the Psalms. But anyway, anyway, so here he is, plucked out of obscurity, and he ends up defeating Goliath. You know these stories. And, um, and in Acts 13, it says that David, that God says about David, he says, uh, um, this is what it says in Acts 13. It says, a man after God's own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. This is God speaking about David. He's a, he's a man after my own heart. He will do anything I ask him to do. That's God's word about David. And David made some brilliant decisions, some brilliant strategic decisions with regard to leading a nation. He, he goes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant and he reestablishes the worship in Jerusalem of Yahweh. He's an amazing leader in public. But in private, 
his pants. Many times. Many times. And I don't want to focus on his failings. But the one that stands out is that he covets another woman, another man's wife. And so he, he gets that husband put in the front lines and he's killed in battle. And David is the instigator of the man's demise just so that he can have this beautiful woman to be his wife. That stinks. Stinks. It's terrible. And you'd think that somebody that was like that would not be usable by God. He would have actually factored himself out of God's plan because of his selfishness. But it's not quite like that, is it? Because the next king, Solomon, is the product of this woman and David. And Solomon's words are in our scriptures. God's plan is not thwartable by our stupidity. It isn't. He's sovereign. And see, and the thing I want to encourage you with, I want you to learn. This is what I've learned from just reading and loving the stories of David. You see, he counts the army. God says, don't ever count your army, David. And David counts his army because he's a bloke and he wants to know and he's going to go to war and he's... And then the, the enemy upend him and they do him in and he's, why, God, why? And God says, because you didn't do what I asked you to do. And yet here God says in Acts 13, he will do anything, everything I ask him to do. But sometimes he does what he wants to do. And I know it's not like you. That's not you. But it is like me. Sometimes I do the things that I want to do when I know in my knower this is not the best. When I speak inappropriately, or I, I'm not going to list my faults in front of you because we, we're going to have lunch later. <laughs> and, and we don't want it to be supper, do we? But um, we learn from this king, great in public, pants in private, terrible in private. But you know what I've learned is that if we confess our sins with a sincere heart, God's faithful to forgive. God's faithful to forgive. It's, it's that confident confession. God, I've blown it again. I know I did it yesterday and I said sorry yesterday, but I've done it again today. I'm sorry. You know what? The forgiveness didn't, fail, didn't finish yesterday. It's here today as well. That he is a forgiving God. He's faithful to forgive. And I, I've learnt, as I look at David's story, this amazing king who you think would have not been able to be used by God because he made some wrong decisions. The thing I want to encourage you with is that we have, we have, you have, a forgiving, loving God. And this is my encouragement. Say sorry quickly. Say sorry quickly. Do it quick. When you, when you realize you've blown it, own it. I'm realizing I'm rapping. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but seriously, when you, when you realize that you've blown it, own it. 
say sorry and get on with using the investment that God has poured into you for his glory. And watch what he does. Watch what he does. Okay, the next king I want to quickly talk about is uh, an amazing king, Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. An extraordinary king. An extraordinary man. Because if you look at his family line, he would not be your pick for your team. He wouldn't. Because his family line were a nightmare. His dad was Ammon. He only reigned two years. And he was just uh, hell on earth, might I say. He was terrible. But he'd had a brilliant example of how to be bad uh, from his dad. Um, Actually, I'm talking about Josiah, not Hezekiah. I'm jumping my gun. So let me come back to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, it says that um, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. This is 2 Kings 18, verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Hezekiah's partner was Isaiah. They're around the same time. They're doing, they're they're ministering. One is leading the nation. One is being the prophet to the nation. And uh, Sennacherib isn't the enemy of Hezekiah. And Sennacherib decides that he's going to come and wage war against the, the people of Israel that are being led by Hezekiah. And so Sennacherib, to kind of undermine Hezekiah's faith in God, he begins to ridicule him. He begins to tease him. He begins to be really unpleasant to him. And he mocks him for his faith in God. Have you ever had anybody mock you for your faith in God? I have. I have. I watched an academic nitwit um, say, uh, this was a a YouTube thing, because I like to look at people that disagree with me, uh, so then I can feel superior and really shout at them (laughs) as I'm watching them. But he's saying, I've read this book, and I've read that book, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I've read the Bible, and I've read the Quran, and I've read this, and I've read that, and I've looked at this, and I've visited that, and I've tried praying, and there is no God. I'm thinking, you're an idiot. Sorry. Because he's looking with a closed mind. He's wanting to prove his own theory rather than searching with an open mind. And I think sometimes if we think with an open mind, you know, we can find the King of Kings. We, we'll find that he is who he says he is. So Sennacherib is being mocked by this, uh, sorry, Sennacherib is mocking this man of God, saying, you nitwit. He, well, he didn't quite use those words, but he says, Don't let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not fall into the hands of the king of Assyria. This is 2 Kings 19, uh, 10 and 11. So he's saying, don't think that God is going to protect you when I come against you. Don't think that he's going to be on your side. He's going to rescue you because we are a mighty army. And you know what happens? 
Hezekiah does nothing. Nothing. But God sends an angel. Not one of uh, Hezekiah's army, not one of his soldiers goes out to confront the enemy. But an angel of the Lord goes before him and wipes out Sennacherib's army. Wow. Wow. And what do we learn from this? Well, oh, let me just say also, you see, there's some other stuff that I learned from Hezekiah. Because, you see, it says that he, in 2 Kings 19.35, it tells me that Hezekiah trusted God. And then this situation happened. But it also, if you go a little bit further into following Hezekiah's story, you'll, you'll, he'll take you to Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it says that he trusted God even when he was ill. So much so that God gives him another 15 years. When he's on his deathbed, God restores him and gives him another 15 years. His trust in God wasn't just for when he was in a battle, when somebody was mocking him. His trust in God was there even when he's in a personal crisis. Not just in a public crisis, leading a nation, but in a personal crisis. His God was personal and with him and for him and gave him another 15 years. I just, wow, I like this God. He's trustworthy, I think. You see, Hezekiah also valued the word of God. Because it tells me in Proverbs, in, yeah, Proverbs 25, verse 1, that these are Proverbs that were collated by Hezekiah's men. So Hezekiah says to his men, gather the wise sayings of Solomon. Gather them together because we don't want to lose them. They are valuable to build our lives on. And so he's saying... He's saying, I value God and his word. You see, if we're going to learn anything from this man, this king, is it that we can trust God in a challenging personal situation. We can trust him when things are not going the way that they, we think that they should be in our personal health. The thing that I'm learning is that God is faithful despite my circumstances, that he's faithful. He's faithful. I've learned in the first, from David, I've learned that he is faithful and forgiving and loving and that we're to say sorry. But I'm here, I'm, I'm understanding that even in my darkest moments, he's faithful. He's faithful. He didn't send sickness, but he actually is a redeeming God and will walk with me through my challenging moments. And sometimes he'll deliver me from the sickness and sometimes he'll walk with me through my sickness but he's a faithful God he's a faithful God I can trust him and this is what I want to encourage you with so my first encouragement was say sorry quickly my second encouragement is this simply this value him and his word value him give him more value than you have done so far. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's valued you. He's invested himself in you. I wrote down a line from one of the songs that we were singing this morning because it jumps out at me every time I sing. The same power 
that raised him to life is living in me. The same power is living in me. And we can say, oh, that's okay for you. No, no, no. I'm saying it's okay for you. He's living in you. The same power is living in you. He's made an investment. It's a solid gold investment. His presence in you. People will mock you. Stand, stand your ground. You don't have to defend him. You don't have to defend him. When you're mocked, take it on the chin, love him back, and watch God move and break down their stony hearts with the love that you show them. It works. Okay, third king. And there is a link to Hezekiah, and that's Josiah. King Josiah. It says of Josiah in uh, 2 Kings 22, verse 2, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David not turning aside to the right or the left. This sounds like a good bloke, doesn't he? He chooses to do what God says is right. And he follows the ways of his father. Now his dad wasn't David, but it's the ways of his ancestor. Not turning aside to the right or the left. And his parental um, download uh, from his father and his grandfather was not great. And Hezekiah was... um, uh, No, I'm not going to go there. So his parental modeling from Ammon and Manasseh was terrible terrible his family pedigree was pants it was was bad because these people turned the nation these previous kings had turned the nation away from god but there's an account of a man called hilkiah who is the high priest and he's he found the book of the law in the temple, he was in the temple rummaging, I suppose, in the attic, um, going through the dusty bits and bobs that had accumulated over generations. And he discovers the book of the law. And he brings it out and he shows Josiah the book. And Josiah begins to read it. And immediately, he says, immediately, upon the revelation that was in the book, he begins to implement reformation in the land. And they call him the Redeemer King, the Redeeming King. Not the Redeemer, but the Redeeming King. And because he begins to initiate, it says that he removed idols and reestablished the covenant with God. That's why it says of him that he followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside from the right or the left. Because he chose to follow the Lord, 
keep his commandments, his statutes and decrees with all his heart and soul. With all his heart and soul. He had a revelation of who God is and the God that we should worship who's watched over us as a nation. And he's saying, listen nation, we need to refocus on him because he is the king of kings. He's the Lord. He's the one that we need to focus on. Not all these other gods, not all these other things that we are doing at this moment in time. So let's sack that and let's build our relationship with him. Because he's the one, and he begins to initiate this transformation in a nation. And so what do I learn from his life? It's simply this, that the personal revelation that you have with application will always lead to transformation. It will. Whether your personal revelation is a little or a lot, whether you've got five bags of gold, or one bag of gold, your personal revelation of him will affect what you do with his investment in you. Your personal revelation, your personal revelation with application. As Joel said, you know, you could have chosen to bury your bag of gold, but today maybe you need to resurrect it. Today you need to have a fresh revelation of the, of the majesty of the king of kings. On this day where our nation is celebrating this monumental moment in our national history where a new king has been crowned, you need to make sure that you refocus, repurpose, redeem, and reappoint the king of kings to be the lord over your life. Focus in your life on him. And I'm telling you, If you begin to live out your personal revelation of him, there will be transformation. There will be. There'll be transformation. You'll begin to see the things that you've only read about. You'll begin to see the things that maybe you dream about. You'll begin to see blind eyes opening. People getting born again, filled with the Spirit, transformed. Marriages being restored and healed. Children being brought back into the kingdom of God where they have lived a life of rebellion because they've seen church and they haven't been able to see the king your personal revelation you need to revisit your personal revelation what do you know about him do you really know him do you really know him because here's a challenge do people see the evidence of him this is i've written this this is written on a piece of paper where i was going over the things that i was challenged with The bits in blue at the top, covered by blue, are all my notes from what I, some of the stuff I learned from listening to Dan recently. And I I put this down at the top, the prison of the mind is never kind. You see, and if you think God is little and limited and can't, then he is limited and he won't because you've chosen to bury God. Something of what he's invested in you. You've got to open your mind. You've got to think. You've got to be kind to yourself. Oh, that fits in with something you said, didn't it? You've got to be kind. You've got to break out of the prison of your mind. And it's not about not thinking. It's about thinking more. 
thinking about whom he is and his majesty and his magnificence. So do people see the evidence of him in you? Oh, shall I make it rhetorical and take the pressure off you, which means you don't have to answer? Or shall I pretend to be Ellen and say, now come on, tell me, Kate, what do you see? No, I'm not going to do it to you. Well, it's a lever, Ellen. I'm using, it. I'm using the lever. You're giving power to my hammer. I'm driving some nails here, I hope. Do people see the evidence of him? Do they see the fruit of his residency in our lives? What stops that? Do we really believe what we sing? The same power? Say, the same power that raised him to life? The same power? That same power? Let's just think about that. The power of God... The power of God to raise Christ. Christ didn't raise himself. You, need, you know that theologically. He was dead. He was man. He was dead. He was fully God. But he chose to divest himself of his kingly vestments. And he stood in his white shirt and dark trousers. Completely exposed. And the power of God. The power of God. The spirit of God raised him, raised him, and he dwells in you, dwells in you, dwells in me, dwells in you. Do you believe this? Do you know this? What stops you? What stops you? What holds you back? What frustrates him from having glory from you? Personal revelation with application will always lead to transformation. So here's my encouragement from the life of Josiah, from me to you. You have to make choices to clean up your act and then to set the example. Set an example. Just set an example. Don't try and be something that you're not but just be the best that you are just be the best that you are be the best husband that you can be men I'm challenging you be a better husband than you've been I can get a I'm hearing a mm from over here <laughs> she's praying out of her skin right now <laughs> yeah Lord teach him Well, if you're an example, it means that other people will look at you as something that they aspire to. You're an example of something that they maybe aren't. So men, choose, choose, choose from your personal revelation of him to be more like him in your home. What would that look like? Well, more loving, more forgiving. More graceful? Hi. Dear. <laughs> Just thinking that, oh my gosh. I am, I'm digging it. Somebody throw me a ladder. <laughs> I'm deep in this hole. <laughs> Just pray for me, John. Come on. <laughs> no. These kings knew God. That's my point. These kings knew God. And they weren't perfect. Just like you or me. 
you know, they, in their private world, were just like Charles was yesterday in that moment before he was anointed. White shirt, trousers, no royal garb, no public gaze, just a private encounter with the one who made the investment in him. Because God has made an investment in him. And I pray, and I'm going to ask you now to join me in praying for our king. Because we need our king to set an example. We need our king to lead with righteousness and integrity. We need our king to know that God himself, that he has promised in front of the world, that he has promised to acknowledge that he would govern with righteousness and holiness, with integrity, to the best of his abilities. He would use what God has invested in him. So will you join me as we pray for him? And then I'm going to pray for you. Because you see, when you, you have this revelation of who he is, it brings transformation to who you are. And when you live differently, it makes a difference. I'm going to ask Barbara, that was her reminder to pop into my chat with you. Come on. She said it. Just to, no, she didn't. Ironically, it's from the right part of the world, actually. Really? <laughs> Just share your story. Okay, I am over the moon you today. Briefly, briefly. I briefly. I'm of many words, too many words sometimes. No, 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 no really, I am overjoyed today. I feel I felt like a wee toddler up the front today to dance. Okay, I mean, jump up and down. 50 years ago, right? I'll be quick as I can. 50 years ago, I was 14. My first boyfriend was a captain in junior IRA. We were, we were very much into that. My family were supporters of... Yeah, my first boyfriend was a captain in the junior IRA and used to come down and they used to boast to us about all the soldiers they shot. They were probably exaggerating. And we thought they were amazing. I grew up in a background where um, my father used to say, die for Ireland is better than dying for God. We, but again, we're all susceptible to brainwashing by our families and I was brainwashed and I realise it's totally wrong now. But I'm here, I came in this morning, I even wore a blue blouse. I mean, I, I, yesterday I, I went to a friend's house and we watched the coronation together and we had a very British... Um, afternoon tea. I'm just laughing and some people here know the significance of this. Me celebrating the coronation. My Irish family in Northern Ireland would would be horrified, right? But again, God has so transformed me. I got born again when I was 17. It took a while to take out, he had to take out the root of bitterness. It took a while. But now I enjoy the coronation. I'm praying for the king. And it just, um, it actually makes me so full of joy today that God can transform people. I mean, we look at situations, we look at people, we look at extremists of different ethnic groups. If God can transform me, I, I wanted to join the IRA 14, but my father, who was an armchair supporter, he supported them, but wouldn't get involved, thankfully. He wouldn't let us join. And I have a sister who was even more extreme than me now. And my brother says, you know, she's, she's even more, she's the most English person he knows, right? And she's from my background. God can so transform people. And if you need God to change something in you, seriously, he can do it. I, I am just so full of joy that God transformed me when I was 17, right? 
Yeah, but he can do it. I mean, honestly and truly, so if there's anything in your life you want God to change, I can promise you can do it. I sometimes, a few years ago, there were some young girls ran away to, um, to work with extremists, you know, Muslim extremists. I felt, I wept for them. And people say, oh my gosh, you shouldn't do that. I wept for them, honestly, because I realized I could have done that kind of thing at 14. You're very young and very impressionable. You showed me a photograph of you and your sister. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, seriously, seriously. You know, but yeah, the chick yeah, but we, we are all susceptible to our upbringing. But I mean, we are, um, we were misled, we were misguided. But in all our lives, we are misguided in certain things. I mean, I'm not so obviously miles away from that now, but I'm so moved today by the transformation of God that I can pray for the king, and I'm even wearing blue, and that I enjoyed the, high, the afternoon tea. But my, my, my word is. God can transform you. And he can, any of your family, any of your family that you're worried about, I'm praying for some of my family today, he can transform them too. I know my brother, he actually he never phoned me. He just phoned me, my brother. And he's not Republican. He was, he was the moderate one. But, I mean, he would be horrified if you heard and I was watching the king even. He, he's a moderate. But God can transform you. Yeah? <laughs> see, personal revelation brings transformation. Yeah. You see, he, he can... Uh, he can save even Barbara. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to pray for the king. Is that okay? Yeah. And then I'm going to invite you to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to pray for you. All right. And I'm going to pray for you. All right. I've been praying for me, so I'm I'm going to pray for you. But I would like you to pray for you, because if you've heard something this morning that kind of sticks in your mind, stands out to you, grasp it, hold it, make a note of it, make a choice to do something with that personal revelation. Because without it, you will be the same in 20 years' time. You have to think and you have to learn to actually apply some of the stuff that you're learning. And you've heard me so many times say, you've got to hear something seven times, which is just a principle that says it takes time. And they say that if you want a a new habit, you have to do that same thing for 40 days straight. And if you do it for 40 days, by the end, by the uh, 41st day, you have built a new habit into your life. See, so we are not instantly transformed people. We have to learn. We have to learn. And we have to learn by thinking. So, will you stand with me? Is that okay? If you can't stand, if you don't want to stand to honor the king, that's absolutely okay. If you're anti the king, then we'll see you and we'll pray for you because you're sitting down. (laughs) No, it's not. I'm not going to tease. I'm just teasing. Yeah. So, Father, we we thank you that um, we live in a nation that is what it is. Lord, we, we want to lift before you our king. There are many people in this country that don't acknowledge him, and they say he's not my king. Well, I'm say he's the king of our nation. And so, Father, we acknowledge him, and we want to honor him, and we want to ask God that you would guide him and lead him, that you would protect him, you protect his family, We pray for the queen also, Lord, this lady that is alongside this man. Just two simple, ordinary people who have been 
given, many would say, a golden ticket. So, Father, we recognize that they are put into a position of authority by you. And so we're asking, please be gracious to them. Be merciful to them. Would you bring your power to bear in their lives? Would you keep them healthy? Would you watch over them as they make decisions? Would you give them wisdom beyond their experience? Lord, where they can bring influence, I pray it will be rooted in your word, led by your spirit. So we pray for them, and we say thank you, God, for them. And in this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Lord, that our personal revelation of you would shape everything that we do, that we would make good use of that which you've invested in us, whatever talents they are, great or small, mighty or minuscule. Lord, I pray that our lives would bring you glory, that the example that we choose to live out of the personal revelation of your love for us, your faithfulness to us, would make a difference in our days, and it will be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.